0: No necessary. Void, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. So you want your charity to succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect place to learn from experts around the world who along with our host provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also, a successful author, his books cover a broad range of topics from major gift fundraising to use of social media and how to succeed online. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you maneuver through this economic downturn in the charitable sector to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. Remember, this is a live call-in show. Become part of the show by adding your voice. Call now at 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Just click on radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart.
2: And welcome to this latest edition of the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today is Tuesday, February 26, 2013, and I'm coming to you live from our nation's capital and the national headquarters of the Charities Aid Foundation of America. We've got a big show for you uh, today, and as the announcer just mentioned, this is a live call in show. So when we get to the page two expert, please dial in at 347-324-3080. Make sure you press the number one to raise your hand, and that will tell me that you would like to ask a question of our guest. You can also join us over in the chat room. I see a a whole uh, list of people over in the chat room. You can type out your questions there. Or email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always, here on The Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. over here on page one news you can follow along at tedhart.com. dot com click on radio links and you'll find the very best of information from the internet. And We're going to start off uh, today with uh, uh, information uh, about a uh, big change over at Hotmail. This comes to us from CNN Tech. Uh, goodbye Hotmail, hello Outlook.com. Read all about it uh, when Microsoft introduced a new version of a fresh and inventive webmail service called Outlook.com last August. It's pretty clear that they are telling the world that they intended to start winding down its venerable hotmail sooner or later, and now it's official. Uh, the company is announcing that Outlook.com is coming out of its preview mode and is now officially available worldwide. And so it's going to start moving more than 300 million Hotmail users over to Outlook.com. You can read all the details uh, about this new service from Microsoft over in the radio links at Ted Hart, at TedHart.com. Next up here is some uh, big news from LinkedIn, and it's a pleasure uh, to welcome back here to the nonprofit coach, Meg Garlinghouse. Meg, how are you doing?
3: I'm great, Ted. Thank you so much for including me on the show. I really appreciate it. And I think um, it's happy three-year anniversary to you, almost. Uh,
2: Just about. Yeah, thank you. You're giving us a little bit of a preview. We've got the third anniversary show uh, coming up. But uh, today you've got some uh, big news, and we're providing a couple of links over in the radio links today, specifically, you're going to talk to us uh, about the LinkedIn Board Member Connect service uh, and then a free webinar that folks can uh, sign up for as well. So take it away and tell us what's news over Great. at LinkedIn.com.
3: Great. Thank you so much. So we, um, we've we been spending the last year and a half looking ways that a nonprofit organization like yours can leverage the LinkedIn network to help build your brand for your community and now source board members. Um, What we learned is that each year, more than 2 million nonprofit board seats need to be filled, and the good news is when we surveyed our member base, we learned that 78% of our professionals would like to join a nonprofit board. So what we realized is that we are in a unique position to help make some of those matches. So as part of this program, we launched LinkedIn Board Member Connect, as Ted just mentioned. And this is a program where we donate one of our, our talent's solution tool to you as free, something we normally charge $1,000 a year. We donate to you for free. And you can use this tool to search and reach out to potential board members that are in your network, within your board's network. So if this is something that's uh, an area of challenge for you or you're interested in learning more. Um, in order to get access to the tool, we ask that you take a 30-minute webinar. And the next one, as Ted mentioned, is on March 12th at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And to sign up, you go to nonprofits.linkedin.com. But again, I think Ted has provided this information to you. And you click on the Sign Up Now button, and then you register for the webinar. And through through that system, we will get you the Talent Finder tool.
2: Well, this sure, is really please, are- terrific uh, news, and as you said, we are providing the link uh, over at tedhart.com. Click on Radio Link so they can go directly to uh, the registration page. It's just thirty minutes, but how uh, wonderful it is that you're uh, providing access to the Talent Finder um, just for participating in the webinar.
3: Yeah, it is. I'm I'm really proud that, that we are doing this, and we already we launched the program um, a couple months ago, and we already have some terrific case studies. Um, that we will share with with you on the webinar um, about organizations who've already used the tool and found um, high-quality and right-skilled professionals to join their board.
2: Well, you have more than 200 million members over on LinkedIn, but the profile of your members is particularly well-suited for nonprofits to find success in this regard.
3: That's right. And, you know, some of the best practices in identifying board members, really thinking about your board composition and what the missing skill set might be. And and using the LinkedIn network, as Ted mentioned, you can literally, you know, search for someone with social media skills who works at Facebook and went to Stanford, and you can find who in your network might know that person. So when I do that search, I might find out, oh, my gosh, Ted actually knows the person who runs the social media strategy at Facebook. He could reach out on my behalf to see if they may be interested in joining my board or at least having an initial conversation.
2: And, Meg, there's really no other way for nonprofit organizations to have this wealth of information in terms of how to connect with people that may already have connections. LinkedIn is really uniquely designed to be able to do this.
3: It is. And you know, the Word Connect piece is really just one dimension. You can also use the LinkedIn network to find pro bono resources, um, to find a potential connection at a partner organization you're interested in in creating some sort of partnership with, um, it really is an extraordinary tool that we have just begun to start educating the nonprofit sector about. So really, really encourage you to go and especially check out our resources on nonprofit.linkedin.com, but also we have a SlideShare account where we have about a dozen PowerPoint decks that we encourage you to download and steal and share, and we really walk you through step-by-step Um, other aspects of the network that you can take advantage of
2: so the first step for our listeners today is to make sure that they register for the uh, webinar that is scheduled for tuesday march 12th 10 a.m pacific 1 p.m eastern just 30 minutes of your time and that's going to be uh, taught by one of your organizational governance and leadership experts misha charles is that correct
3: um, actually, Misha is the case study. The person who's going to be delivering the webinar is a woman named Lana um, commonson who's one of our product marketing. Um,
2: oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading that. You've got a case study of, of someone exactly. who really made success out of LinkedIn, and that's Misha Charles. Well, again, case studies um, are proving that this is a fantastic resource for nonprofits. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you here on the show, and I hope that you'll come back soon and uh, tell us of uh, the next wave of innovation uh, for nonprofits organizations over at LinkedIn.
3: Absolutely. Thanks again, Ted. Really appreciate it
2: again Meg Garlinghouse from uh, LinkedIn uh, get all the information over at tedhart.com click on radio links and you'll be able to register for this free uh, webinar uh, next up here on uh, the nonprofit code speaking of free it comes to us from hubspot.com this is a free guide on how to engage your fans on Facebook so today we've got LinkedIn we've got Facebook you can download this uh, free uh, ebook uh, by going to the radio links today and these are tips for attracting Facebook users to your Facebook page. Uh, and, again, that's at tedharts.com. Click on radio links. Uh, every month uh, we are very pleased to bring to you uh, the Guide Star Minute. Lindsay Nichols is here with us today to bring us the most up-to-date information about how your organization can benefit from the services provided from GuideStar.org. Again, over in the radio links today, you will find a link directly to GuideStar.org. And right now, we have Lindsay Nichols here with the GuideStar Minute.
4: Hi, Ted. How are you? Hey,
2: Lindsay. Great to have you back. Uh, welcome to the the new year of the nonprofit coach. What's going on over at GuideStar?
4: Thanks so much for having me. As always, and happy almost three-year anniversary as well. I know, well. Hard,
2: hard to believe, hard to believe that's coming up so soon.
4: I know, and yet it feels like you've been here helping us for a long time. So we're we're glad about it.
2: Well, thank you for that. What's uh, What's news?
4: So this month in February, Geyser has actually been doing something really fun. We've been trying to share the love with nonprofits. Um, This is a bit of a social media campaign where we're asking people to share images or photos of their nonprofit, of their favorite nonprofit, of an organization they volunteer with. Um, and take those images and post them on Twitter or Instagram or Tumblr, and use the hashtag non-profit love and love being L U V, all one word, and hopefully tagging GuideStar if they can, which is at GuideStar And then we're taking that and actually kind of forwarding that on to our social media audience. It has been amazing so far. We have had you know over 200 people participate. We've had hundreds of thousands of people talking about this. There's been a real conversation about how powerful the nonprofit community is. And this month, you know, being Valentine's Day and just the month where you want to tell people that you care about how much they mean to you. This has been really exciting for us. So we're we're keeping this going through the month of February. We're hoping that your audience can kind of share that love as well and, and get going about their own nonprofits.
2: Well, that's terrific. What a wonderful way to be able to uh, add pictures. And of course, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. So you've got a lot of words about nonprofits uh, going over at, uh, at GuideStar. And you said this is really picking up traction.
4: It's been amazing. If you go to our website, you know, org and you click on the heart, which is the big image in the middle, it takes you to our page. And at the bottom, which kind of explains what we're doing, there's a live Twitter feed, so it shows you all the people that are talking about it. And we also have a Storify, which is just storeify.com slash nonprofit love. And it really gives an image of just how many people are sharing images. We've had all different kinds of mission focus areas. We've had all different areas of the country and the world, really. We've had small nonprofits, big nonprofits. It really has been powerful. And as you said, picture tells a thousand words. We are really getting to the core of why nonprofits matter. So it's been really exciting for us. We've never done anything like this. And hopefully we'll do something like this again because it's been so successful.
2: Wow, it's really uh, quite imaginative and and a terrific opportunity. And and as you said, uh, all the uh, nonprofits uh, uh, today can – uh, also, uh, be uh, start using the uh, Twitter tag nonprofit love LUV uh, for uh, sharing uh, this information with others uh, as well. Just a reminder, uh, we have the uh, GuideStar minute here on the nonprofit coach because of the six pillars of success for online nonprofit organizations. GuideStar is number two, right behind uh, your own well-designed website. So again, uh, Lindsay Nichols here from GuideStar. Thank you for bringing us up to date, and we'll look forward to having you back next month.
4: Thank you so much, Ted. Take care.
2: You bet. Uh, next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coaches, just a little bit of a reminder just for your staff Employee Appreciation Day uh, 2013 is March 1st. And don't forget your administrative professionals. The uh, Administrative Professionals Day uh, is April 24th. So there's a couple of days to put on your uh, calendar so you don't uh, miss out on the opportunity to celebrate those people who help make your organization a success. Next up here on The Nonprofit Coach is moving on over to page two. Today, our Page 2 expert is Michael Rosen, CFRE. He is the president of ML Innovations, a fundraising and marketing consulting firm. He's also an adjunct professor in a graduate of arts administration program at Drexel University. Michael has received the very prestigious AFP Skystone Partners Prize for research and fundraising and philanthropy for his best-selling book, Donor centered planned gift marketing, which is the topic that we'll be discussing with him today, which has also been included on the official CFRE International Resource Reading List. Michael has served as president of the Partnership for Philanthropic Planning of Greater Philadelphia, a board chair of the AFP Political Action Committee, a board member of the AFP Foundation, and vice president. Of the AFP Greater Philadelphia chapter so if you're calling in today I think this is someone you can also ask about AFP since he's so uh, active in that organization Michael has served on the Board of Trustees of the Jewish Federation of Greater Philadelphia and the Board of Directors of the Philadelphia Children's Alliance so this is someone who not only is a professional in the fundraising field but gives back to his community and today it's my pleasure to welcome here to the nonprofit coach my friend michael rosen michael welcome here to the nonprofit coach
5: thank you very much ted it's an honor to be with you and i thank your uh, listeners for joining us today
2: well i i dare say your, uh, your show is going to be extremely popular and, and one of the reasons for that is that uh... everyone feels that they're just one training session away from getting that big planned gift uh, so everybody needs the information that uh, that you can provide to us today. So why don't why don't we get started with the basics? What is a planned gift?
5: Depends on who you ask. Uh, but since you're asking me, I'll use my definition. I think a planned gift is virtually any gift. I think virtually any gift requires a measure of planning on the part of the donor. Uh, not the gift when you're walking down the street at Christmas time and you toss some spare pocket change uh, into the Salvation Army bucket, but when you're sitting down at the end of the month and, and evaluating uh, that uh, uh, checkbook balance and how much money you have left over that you might be able to uh, spare for a non-profit contribution, there's an element of planning. Now, the traditional definition of plan giving is a little bit more specific and refers to uh, charitable bequests where an individual puts uh, a charity uh, and names them in their will and that's about 70 to 80 percent of all planned gifts uh, also included in plan giving would be life income gifts like charitable gift annuities uh, or charitable trusts Some people, in their definition of planned giving, will also include gifts of uh, appreciated securities and and personal property. Uh, So typically, there are gifts that require, as I've already said, an element of planning on the part of the donor. Uh, Typically, it involves uh, tax considerations. Uh, the, The donor may consult their legal and financial and accounting advisors uh and uh and, and and certainly uh the larger plan gifts typically are given thought over a longer period of time as well.
2: Now um
5: in in
2: looking at plan gifts and, and, and as you've provided a, a very good, very broad definition, I, I think that the the whole area of plan giving has changed so dramatically uh, over the last five to ten years and has become much more uh, expansive and such a, an important part of a solid, well rounded fundraising uh, program. Uh, in your book, um, which again, congratulations on uh, winning this uh, important and prestigious uh, award for donor centered plan gift marketing, um, as your title, Um, denotes this is a higher level of relationship that a charity will build with a donor if they're going to be successful in closing a planned gift.
5: Absolutely. Uh, In order to close a planned gift, there has to be uh, a solid relationship uh, there uh, most often. Uh, And also, the organization needs to be trusted. By the the donor, uh, the greater the level of, of trust and confidence the donor has uh, in the organization's ability uh, to execute and to achieve its mission and to be there uh, for decades to come, the more likely they are to uh, to make a planned gift. However, Ted, uh, since I wrote the book, some new uh, startling research uh, came out uh, from the Stelter company. Uh, that found that 20% of people who have made a a planned gift to a charity have given to that charity for five or fewer years. Uh, 21% never donated to the charity that they give a planned gift to. So that uh, while the majority of people have that, that strong relationship that you mentioned, Uh, with the charity that they make a planned gift to. Uh, That's not always the case. But what is always the case is that they have a high level of trust in the charity.
2: And I would imagine, too, and this goes to the topic of your book, uh, it also matters how you are marketing and showing that you are the sort of organization that is savvy enough, prepared, to be able to accept these gifts. So if you've got 20-plus percent of your audience out there who may be going to your website, may be receiving your newsletter but have not made a gift, they're getting that information from somewhere. And if you're not providing it, if you're not marketing these opportunities, you're not likely to get those
5: gifts. Well, absolutely. And, and, and plan, gift, prospects uh, are everywhere. And you don't always know who they are. And so the messaging needs to be ubiquitous uh and you need to rely on some of the traditional ways of, of, of getting the message out going out and having coffee with with your prospects and having a face to face conversation but you also need to uh take advantage of, of of everything that technology offers us uh with uh it uh uh, uh social media uh, uh website etc uh, I just want to step back for uh, for a moment. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, the uh, the title of my book, and 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 uh, in that title, I mentioned the term donor centered, uh, which is something I'm very passionate about, and 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 have been since the beginning of my fundraising career. But I'm not sure if your listeners know that you, Ted Hart, were one of the first, or possibly absolutely the first person uh to talk about in print the concept of donor uh uh centric fundraising uh, in an article you did many many years ago my goodness uh, you, you're, you're dating Birth.
2: me and it's amazing that you remember that but but uh but thank you for uh, for pointing that out and I'm thrilled that uh, that your book is focused on this help um help my listeners understand what it is that you mean by donor centered and i and i think for, since it's been such a big part of both of our careers uh, i think it's always good to know what what's the opposite of that if you're if you're not being donor centered what are you likely doing
5: what you're likely doing is traditional fundraising <laughs> sadly uh the traditional fundraising has focused on the organization and its needs not the donor and 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 the donors philanthropic aspirations uh... and this manifests itself in in a, a, a variety of ways um, for example uh... the smithsonian uh... a number of years ago was contacted by uh, an elderly gentleman who was interested in uh... a ten thousand uh, dollar charitable uh, gift annuity uh, contribution because he thought it was something nice to do But when John Kendrick, the uh, planned giving uh, uh, director at the time, communicated with this 96-year-old gentleman and and got to learn about what his needs were and and his philanthropic aspirations and what the needs of his family were, he was able to turn that $10,000 charitable gift annuity inquiry into a $3.5 million charitable gift annuity donation because the guy wanted to take care of his wife and his son when he was no longer around to manage the finances.
2: This is such a perfect example of and and what, what I've often mentioned to nonprofits is needing money is not enough. Get in line. Everybody needs money. Um, but it's the donor and what the donor would like to accomplish through the mission of your organization that matters most. I don't want to interrupt your, your wonderful thought here, but we do have uh, a couple of callers on the line, and we also have uh, a question coming from the chat room. Uh, of another stellar member of our fundraising community, Anthony Alonzo, uh, is uh, in the chat room, and he's the president of Advantage Plus Consulting. Uh, and his question is, uh, and I'm just going to read it to you here, given Michael's expertise in direct marketing, over the years uh, what does he think is the role of social media and telephone solicitation in today's planned giving environment great question anthony uh, over to you michael
5: uh thank you anthony uh the uh, with with planned giving there's been the the traditional way of thinking which is about passive marketing Uh, We'll send brochures out, maybe send a newsletter out, and if people are interested in having the conversation, they'll contact us. And if we happen to be talking to a major gift prospect, uh, maybe we'll, from time to time, bring up the issue of planned giving. Uh, However, a fellow by the name of Phil Murphy, a consultant, uh, 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 said something. that's one of my all-time favorite planned giving quotes. He said, (laughs) Let's get crazy with plan giving. let's think of it as fundraising and, right. <laughs> yeah right. and, what, and what he meant was that of course it's fundraising, but why don't we practice it as if it's fundraising and that means the same tools uh the 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 same approaches that we use with an annual fund with a capital campaign uh with membership drives, are all. The same steps that we can follow for plan giving, including the use of of, of, of social media, the use of direct mail, the use of the telephone. Uh, real quickly, Ted, you know, I'll tell you that you know people think that the only way you can use the telephone uh, for plan gift marketing is to call up a prospect and make an appointment. Uh, so they're, they're, the reality is you can launch telephone fundraising campaigns for planned giving, the same as you would for an annual fund or a capital campaign. Uh, There's a university uh, down in Texas uh, that used the phone campaign to reach out to uh, uh, folks that uh, responded to a mailer promoting a a charitable gift annuity program. The letters went out to 7,000 alumni. Uh, the 86 folks that, um, or I'm sorry, the uh, 44 folks that initially responded to the first mailing, uh, there are another 42 that responded to a second mailing. Uh, those 86 folks were called, and resulted in nearly a million dollars in gift annuity contributions. Um, a, an orchestra in the Pacific Northwest targeted 2,200 of their rated prospects, uh, and was able to secure approximately two million dollars in charitable bequest expectancies uh now you have to be careful when you use a personal medium like the telephone for plan giving, but it can be done and it can be very effective
2: but I would imagine that it's it's also part of an integrated overall uh strategy that's going to get you to that success michael we're we're going to uh go to the phones here we have a caller uh area code six one six You're live here on the nonprofit coach. Michael Rosen is our guest today. Go ahead with your question.
1: Yeah, thank you, Ted. Thank
2: you, Michael. Michael, I have your book, uh, Donor-Centered Planned Gift Marketing. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. You um, noted a stat in there from the um, University of Indiana School of Philanthropy that estate givers give more than double to the annual fund. Remember that one? Yes. And what were the implications? Would you say for annual fund giving. Often people associate plan giving as something that's going to happen way in the future. Do you see a correlation to an impact now for annual fund fundraising?
5: The 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 stat you cite is, is very interesting. Uh, the one thing that it doesn't help us with is to understand what the cause and effect is. Uh, so I can't sit here today and tell you that if someone Includes a charity in their will, they're going to be um, more likely to increase their their annual fund support. Uh, what we do know is that there's a correlation between annual fund giving and and planned giving. Uh, we just don't know whether it's the people who who uh, give more to the annual fund are more likely to to make the planned gift or vice versa. But what we do know is that uh, uh loyal donors are uh more likely to have a vested interest in the organization and to find diverse ways to support the organization mm-hmm. and so uh the causality I suspect probably goes both ways, yeah, and uh, I think also um caller one of the things that that uh that we've
2: tracked um in the industry for for a while is I think this is also a cautionary tale. In that a lot of charities, once someone self-identifies or they're able to identify someone has actually made a planned gift or, or left you in their will, a lot of organizations sort of pull back from, well, they've sort of done their bit and maybe they're not going to give or we want to hold them with kit gloves and so we don't want to make an ask. And, in fact, what they're signaling to you is their deep desire to see the organization succeed. And I think what, where the statistic may be coming in uh, is that oftentimes you will see that donor who's made that, uh, you know, terrific indication of their legacy gift uh, may step up their annual giving as well during uh, the rest of their lifetime.
5: And it, it's you're absolutely right, Ted. And, and it, it comes down to uh, remembering that stewardship is an important part of the development process uh Jerry Lenfest, uh who uh was was generous enough to to write the forward uh to my book is uh, a member of the Bill Gates uh Giving Pledge uh uh club and uh one of the things he said when we make our planned gift, don't forget about us if you treat And, us and right, I think it does it,
2: become uh, a a difficult issue particularly for maybe uh uh development officers who are not as seasoned as you know, how do you carry on that dialogue when it appears that the donor has made made a a life gift, um, but they're still alive? Um, how do you continue on that dialogue?
5: Well, and 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 you absolutely have to, as as uh, uh, Jerry Lenfest pointed out, is if you treat us right, we might make another one.
2: Right. Right. Exactly. And, and, Callie, did
5: you have a follow up
2: uh, call for uh, for Michael? That was really helpful. Thank you. Terrific. Terrific. Thank, you, Thank uh, you, caller, again, for, uh, uh, for joining us today. Uh, Michael, we're going to take a really quick break, and I do see the rest of the folks here on the uh, switchboard. Uh, hang tight. We will come back to you and the folks over in the chat room. Don't forget you can uh, also uh, participate by asking questions via email at tedhart at tedhart.com, and we'll be right back after the break. Just a couple of notations here for your calendar. Uh, We do want to make note uh, that next week, Amy Eisenstein will be joining us here, helping you raise money for less. That's going to be March 5th uh, at 12 noon Eastern. Uh, As was mentioned uh, several times uh, from our good friends over on the page one uh, today, we do have our big third anniversary show. Hard to believe that we're coming up on the third anniversary of the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. That is going to be March 12th. At 12 noon, we hope that you will join us. We've got quite a lineup of luminaries who are calling in to share their tips at the occasion of our third anniversary. This show has grown by leaps and bounds. The number of people who listen to this show has tripled in just the last year. You can follow along over in the radio links today to the top 10 shows of all time here on the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. And it just turns out. That the top 10 shows of all time came in 2012. And I was just looking at some of the statistics last night, and the listenership continues to grow with literally tens of thousands of listeners for this show. Before we head back to uh, our wonderful Page 2 expert today, Michael Rosen, I do want to make note of the Digital Leap Conference, which will be taking place uh, up in Toronto, Canada. Um, And that's uh, on May 2nd at the Art Gallery of Ontario. Uh, This is our fourth annual Digital Leap Conference in Toronto. uh, And uh, the early bird registration rate um, ends on March 20th. So you'll want to go to uh, the radio links today and make sure that you're following along to the Digital Leap uh, information. Or you can just go directly to digitalleap.org and get that information. We're going to head back on over to the show.
0: Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart.
2: And we're live here on The Nonprofit Coach with Michael Rosen, CFRE. He's the president of ML Innovations and is the author of the best-selling book, Donor-Centered Planned Gift Marketing, uh, which has received the AFP Skystone Partners Prize for Research in Fundraising and Philanthropy. Back here uh, with with Michael. Uh, We are going to go to our next caller here, Michael. Area code 503. You're live here on The Nonprofit Coach. Go ahead with your question. Oh, uh, th- th- that would be me. It sounds like that would like. be um, you. Um, go Excellent,
0: um, Michael. Um, Richard Friedland calling. Um, uh, uh, hello, Um My, it, it, I know that
5: it takes time to cultivate and steward the relationship for a donor to get them to successfully uh, in, engage in a planned gift. Um, what is your opinion or in your experience? um the average amount of time it takes to get them from step 1 to that major gift well I'll give you the consultant's answer Richard uh it <laughs> depends uh the uh, it did, and what it depends on is 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 the uh, circumstances that the uh the donor finds themselves in and 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 the uh uh, way in which the uh prospective donor has uh previously engaged with with the organization uh, for some that will take uh years and and for others uh, that's, as as we know from uh, that stelter study i referenced uh the person may have a you know a very uh short limited uh relationship with the organization and so what this means is we need to, uh, by taking a donor-centered approach, do what's appropriate for each prospective donor and to be sensitive to where they are in their life cycle and and recognize that people will make gifts on their schedule, not ours. Uh, people don't care about the end of our fiscal year. Uh, they don't care about... Uh, You know, our our particular marketing campaigns, what they care about is making the gift when it's appropriate for them. And we need to be sensitive to that when we're having our conversations, when we're doing our marketing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any uh, follow-up
2: question, uh, caller?
5: No, thank thank you very much. Terrific, and thank you for calling in. We do
2: have a number of people on the switchboard. Just a reminder, it is absolutely okay to call in and listen to the show live uh, via your phone, but if you do want to ask a question, make sure that you press the number one. That will raise your hand here on the switchboard, and I'll know to go to you for the next uh, question. Uh, the next question actually uh, comes to us uh, from the uh, chat room. Uh, we have uh, Greg Warner is over in the chat room, and uh, he's the president of Market Smart and the founder of Smart Gift Marketer. Uh, and what I really like about uh, Greg's work is he always leads with data. Uh, and what he's asking of you, Mike. Is according to Giving USA, the only bright spot for fundraising in 2012 was an increase in bequests of 8.8 percent. So why? The question is, why don't more organizations focus on planned giving? And he goes on to say um, about their marketing and why don't they increase their budgets in this area?
5: The uh, uh, problem is, I think one of, of the tension between raising current dollars today for mission fulfillment versus taking money away from mission fulfillment today to invest in the future and some revenue stream at some distant point uh, uh, forward. And for some organizations, uh, that could even be a matter of life and death, taking money away from mission fulfillment today uh and that's a tough argument to uh uh to make i think for for some charities but plan giving is a, a, an area of growing importance from the donor's perspective and we ought to be paying attention to that and i think organizations ought to be investing more to secure their future with with planned gifts not to mention the fact that that not all planned gifts are deferred. Uh, Gift annuities, um, uh, gifts from an IRA, gifts of appreciated property, gifts of appreciated securities are all current forms of of planned giving. And even among deferred gifts like charitable bequests, if you have a large enough pool of charitable bequests, what you'll find is that a number of those are going to begin to be realized uh, in a fairly short order, three to five year time frame. Uh it's not going to take twenty or thirty years uh before your donors begin to uh to pass. And uh, now, Greg, what
2: this is uh this is Ted. What I often mention to uh uh to uh donors is that really the the least tax wise way for a donor to make a contribution to a nonprofit organization is by writing a check. Uh, that there are often other opportunities, and as Michael just mentioned, appreciated stock, appreciated um, uh, property, uh, those uh, often are a little bit um, easier for a donor to move. But they, if, if, as a professional, we're not pointing out the additional tax benefits that only a charitable organization can bring to that donor for moving those assets, uh, they're going to miss out on the opportunity to maximize the support that they can give while maximizing the tax deduction that they can receive.
5: Absolutely, and and because I know Greg does like uh, statistics, uh, and let me share uh, some donor-centered statistics. Eighty-nine uh, percent of donors surveyed say that it's okay for a charity to ask them for a planned gift, and yet we know from other research that only twenty two percent have been asked for a planned gift. So if donors are telling us that it's okay for us to be asking, why aren't more of us asking?
2: Well I think this goes back to uh to Greg's uh, uh question and that is um why are charities purposely leaving so much money on the table? Um, and, and, I, and I think you're absolutely right, Michael, in pointing out that there is this tension between the need to fund the today um, and the perception that planned giving is only about a faraway tomorrow. Uh, but as you've also pointed out, that's not necessarily the case. Michael, just keeping track of our time here, we do have an email question coming in. Nancy Bayer uh, from Worthington, Ohio. She's with the Peggy R. McConnell Arts Center for Worthington. Uh, Nancy, thank you for emailing in. And the question uh, for Michael is, is for a small shop, what is the preferred documentation a shop should seek to acquire for a bequest gift? Recommendation she's asking for, and a simple marketing piece outlining our organization's ability to accept uh, planned gifts, uh, maybe some samples, templates, somewhere you can direct her, somewhere you can uh, point to her for this information.
5: Well, there's uh some material uh, uh in my book for example there's a uh a bequest confirmation form uh sample uh in the book that you can encourage folks to uh fill out uh to let you know that they've included your organization uh in their will uh and then that once you have that form You'll be able to include them in your plan gift recognition society, which hopefully uh you have or or plan on having um There are a number of 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 uh marketing companies out there that have uh, a variety of 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 simple marketing materials uh for sale. There are some uh websites that you can go to that uh have materials for free. Uh, and a great resource, if you're a member of the uh, Association of Fundraising Professionals, uh, is the AFP Resource Center, uh, which is a free uh, resource uh, to AFP members. Uh, you can contact the Resource Center at AFP uh, International Headquarters and uh, request materials that other uh, nonprofit organizations have shared in order to, uh, to build up their uh, 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 library and they'll freely share uh, those materials with you.
2: Another resource that I'll point out uh, to my listeners uh, is to go to Plangiving.org and if you click on marketing tools uh, there's a terrific uh, giving marketing plan that you can download for free and that's a 12 month plan and in there you'll uh, see some of the things that you're looking for but I, I think Michael you would agree that for small organizations it's it's important just to get started. And some of the things that you pointed out about uh, appreciated uh, stock and and other offerings of that sort are pretty low-hanging fruit for a lot of donors. Um, But if they're not getting that information from the charity uh, that they would like to give to, they they may rightfully assume that the charity cannot handle that kind of gift.
5: You're you're right. And, And so what you can do to help make the messaging ubiquitous is even just at the bottom of your letterhead, Adding the tagline, please remember us in your will and trust uh, so that in your uh in your email signature block, you know putting uh something a uh, message similar uh to that so that it's always in front of folks when you're talking with a donor, I was on the board of a small scholarship foundation, and a donor said uh, who I forget who do I make the uh the the checkout to I want to give five thousand dollars and I, I thanked her for, uh, for for her gift, but I said, before you do that, let me ask, do you have any appreciated stock? And she said, yeah, but why do you ask? And I and then I explained it to her, and I explained how she could gift the stock and avoid the capital gains tax uh, and still get the charitable deduction. She wasn't aware of that. Mm-hmm. She had her accountant calculate what her tax savings would be, and increased her gift by that much because, as so she said to me later, I didn't need the extra money. So since I was able to save it, I passed it along to the charity.
2: Exactly, and, and there are so many examples of that happening. And and uh, and I, I think there's an assumption that if someone you know has wealth or someone has um, appreciated stock, that they already know all about this. But I think the issue here that, that you're raising is that. Uh, they may rightfully assume that the charity can't handle that kind of gift if we're not putting that information out to them. They may get that exact same information from another charity but not equate it um, to the charity that that you're running. So uh, back to Nancy's question, I think uh, uh, hopefully we've provided you with some resources today, but also um, I, I think the advice that I often give when it comes to Uh, bequests and and, and what might be called planned gifts, um, is don't allow yourself to become overwhelmed. Um, You don't need to be an expert in all aspects of planned giving. What you do need as a professional is to understand the concepts to be able to, as Michael just pointed out, that if you're in a conversation, whether it's at a luncheon or just in, in passing with someone, that you can begin identifying those clues in your prospective donors' um, assets, pools, or just to ask uh, key questions, as Michael just pointed out, that might lead them to greater tax savings for themselves. Or, um, as, as the example was just pointed out, they may uh, feel so strongly that they're so appreciative that they're going to pass what would have been their tax savings on as an additional donation uh, to the charity. Uh, keeping in uh, mind of the of the time here, Michael, I want to make sure um, that uh, we do spend a little bit uh, more time uh, on your book. And specifically, um, I wanted to talk about the integration into an overall plan-giving program rather than just um, a silo. And that happens so often, and I think it's because of this knowledge base that, that uh, a lot of uh, professionals may not feel that they have
5: well i I think you're correct, and I think it also the silo approach tends to happen at 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 larger organizations that frankly can afford to to hire and pay for someone who's a dedicated plan giving professional uh and so you'll have your 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 major gift team your your plan giving uh uh development team uh and and so what we're beginning to see now as there's developing interest uh among mid-size and even small nonprofit organizations is that you have the development generalist that is beginning to uh engage in in planned giving and that's what's leading to some of the uh culture change in the planned giving world where we're beginning to see greater uh integration and and, and the reality is that uh, uh, just over a third of, of of people surveyed say that they uh, know what the term planned giving means. Now, we don't know how many of them are right about their understanding of the term planned giving, but at least they say they're familiar with it. Well, that means two-thirds of the folks aren't. So it, it doesn't make sense to have a conversation with people about planned giving when they don't even know what we're talking about. Hmm. Instead, if we talk about their philanthropic aspirations, what is it they want to accomplish, what do they want their legacy to be, then we can help show them what the best ways are to achieve that, whether it's with a current cash gift, whether it's with a planned gift, uh, whether it's a life income gift, uh, we can help meet their needs and in the same time then meet the needs of our own organizations. Exactly. We do have a follow-up uh email uh from Nancy. Uh,
2: Nancy, thank you again for emailing back. Um she's asking how legally binding is a
5: signed bequest
2: confirmation form versus a pledge or a letter of interest or a letter of intent.
5: Uh it depends on on how it's written. Uh you can uh uh, uh create um uh forms that uh are legally binding and, and will bind the uh, uh, estate. Uh, but the type of form that I'm thinking of is because you want to set as few obstacles in the path between the donor and the gift. Mm-hmm. And and you want your, your legacy uh, recognition society to be as inclusive as possible. Mm-hmm. And so my recommendation would be for you to uh, not worry about creating a binding document Right. Uh That scares donors, but one that simply allows you to uh, uh properly uh, uh administer the relationship, recognize the donor uh The reality is the research shows that once someone puts a charity uh in their will uh f- fewer than ten percent of the time does that charity ever get taken out of the will
2: and and it's sort of a you know an important point to say you know game on to good stewardship. Um, That, you know, if, if you then ignore that donor and do not do a good job, then, you know, the nature of a bequest is that wills can be changed. Um, so, you know, if, if you're fortunate enough to have the donor want to publicly declare that to you, that it's in their will before they pass, uh, which is not always the case. There's lots of examples of, of uh, uh, where the donor left money in a will and the charity had no uh, indication that that was coming. Um, I think that that's an indication that the donor is saying, I care enough about you, to give you the opportunity to uh, uh, properly steward me, so I, I think you're absolutely right. The, the issue is the, the the way that it's worded, but it's it's not so much a, a matter of locking people in, but it's good stewardship. We do have another question uh, from uh, from the chat room, um, and uh, I think this is a, a uh, uh, comment back to some of the data. I believe it is a barrier to entry in terms of budget. That is why phone solicitation is so important if it's done right. Uh, This is Anthony Alonzo, of course, he's an expert in this area, Uh, and he says that he is running a 10 to 15 percent conversion rate uh, over the telephone in identifying prospects uh, for these areas. And of course, that's far and away better than uh, most folks would be doing by uh, by direct mail. So, um, do you have um, comments, or do you want to weave that into your overall message?
5: Well, it gets back to what I was saying uh, earlier about plan giving is fundraising. Uh, and, and here we have some additional evidence that a traditional fundraising tactic like a phone campaign uh, can be enormously successful. Uh, it It is going to depend on the quality of the prospect list, uh, the quality of the relationships that the organization has uh, with the donor, uh... the quality of the phone campaign not all phone campaigns are are created equal uh... and in great care needs to be be taken uh... and you need to be prepared to, to have actual conversations uh... with people when talking about plan giving there was uh... some uh... relatively new research uh, from russell james uh, who did a brain scan uh... survey uh... or analysis Uh, to look into people's heads when they were thinking about planned giving, specifically charitable bequests, and what part of the brain actually lights up when people are are thinking about it. And the part of the brain that, that lights up is the autobiographical center. When people think about a planned gift, they're thinking about their own life story and how this type of gift will help establish their legacy. Well, If that's what our donors are thinking, we need to meet them there, and that means you need a a sophisticated person on the telephone who's able to have that kind of conversation. Our donors are willing to have the conversation, but we need to have the skills to be able to meet them where they are. Exactly. Exactly. We're going to just take a
2: really quick break for a message uh, from Google and when we come back we're going to have the big finish here uh, with Michael Rosen uh, helping all of our listeners understand uh, how donor-centered plan giving uh, should be integrated into their programs and uh, we'll be right
1: back every day millions of people are online many of whom want to help volunteer and donate to a good because Nonprofit organizations can use many Google tools to reach potential donors around the world and raise more money and as an approved nonprofit, it doesn't cost a thing It's all free. Google Grants helps you promote your website with free advertising on Google.com through the AdWords program. With Google AdWords, you create ads and choose words or phrases related to your nonprofit organization. When people search on Google using one of your phrases, your ad will appear next to the Google search results under the Sponsored Links section. AdWords allows you to target certain geographic areas, dates, and times of day for your ads to appear. YouTube for Nonprofits is another tool that can boost donations to your organization. The program offers a number of perks that get your message out there and drive viewers to take action and donate. You can list your organization on YouTube's nonprofit channel and add call-to-action overlays on your videos to drive viewers to donate. Need help analyzing your website traffic and marketing effectiveness? Google Analytics is a free tool that will give you rich insight and help you increase the number of people that visit and donate to your site. Google Analytics can be invaluable to many people in your organization such as development directors, marketing staff, and your web team. There are many other tools that can help you reach more donors and raise funds like Google Checkout where you can process credit card donations with no transaction fee. Google Sites to create a free website and Website Optimizer, where you can figure out the best landing pages to turn site visitors into donors. To get started, apply for Google for Nonprofits today.
2: And we're back here for the big finish with uh, Michael Rosen. Uh, Michael, what message and information uh, as we wrap up and and make sure that uh, in the next uh, four minutes uh, or less um, you help folks understand uh, where they can find you and how they can connect with you?
5: Well, thank you, Ted. Uh, I have uh, a, n- a number of, of uh, useful articles with additional information uh about planned gift marketing on my website, uh, my blog site, uh, michaelrosensays.wordpress.com. Uh there are also links uh, uh to uh the book, uh to my business website uh as well. And uh, the key thing that I would like to uh to to leave folks with uh uh today is that by focusing on on the needs of the donor we're going to be more successful for for our organizations. And by keeping the messaging uh ubiquitous, uh you'll be able to uh be more successful in in, in reaching out to uh to more folks. Uh, remember that that planned giving is not just for, for rich people and celebrities. Uh, the uh, bequest, for example, the charitable bequest, is the major gift of the middle class. Uh, and so we need to make sure that we're talking about planned giving with folks beyond uh, our major donors and our major donor prospects. And that means using... The full complement of, of tools available uh, to development, uh, uh, website, direct mail, social media, the telephone, uh, newsletters, or magazines. So uh, this is a message of integration. To, to, to be successful, this,
2: uh, this, again, is not a, a standalone project by itself, but uh, really needs to be integrated across the uh, prospect pool.
5: Uh, absolutely. And it doesn't need to cost a lot of money. If your organization already publishes a newsletter, for example, and you're talking about mission fulfillment, mention in that article, and this project was made possible in part through the uh, charitable uh, bequest gift we received from the will of uh, uh, John Smith, Uh weave it into all of your communications so that people understand uh, the relevance and the importance uh, to your organization of their planned gift. And, as you mentioned earlier, Ted, to let them know that your your organization can handle the planned gift uh, in an appropriate uh, way that will allow the organization to achieve its mission.
4: Exactly.
2: Michael uh, Rosen, CFRE, is the president of ML Innovations fundraising and marketing consulting firm and uh, won the uh, very coveted AFP Skystone Partners Prize for Research and Fundraising and Philanthropy for his best-selling book, Donor-Centered Plan Gift Marketing. And he's been our guest here on The Nonprofit Coach. Michael, thank you so much for being our guest here today on The Nonprofit Coach.
5: Thank you very much, Ted, and congratulations on your upcoming third anniversary for the show. It's been a lot of fun to, uh, to be with you today.
2: Absolutely. Just a couple weeks away. Thanks, everyone. We'll be back next week here on The Nonprofit Coach.
0: You've been listening to The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad friendly podcast at tedheart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach.